right. You guys doing okay? Whoops. Um, I want to do another, uh, another sort of a foundational message. I've got several foundational messages that I could do, but I obviously don't have time to do them all. So I'm trying to pick and choose where I feel like it's best to, to shoot at that I can see you walk in the maximum fruit. Right, please, like, it's really important that we have a correct foundation. If we don't have the correct foundation, it's only, you're only going to get, you know, cracks in your foundation. And we're not really walking in sustained fruit. I want to see people walk in sustained fruit. I don't want to see them walk in miracles for a couple of days. So I want to I see the body of Christ come into all that Jesus called us to be. And the way that I'm discovering that is that it's identity of understanding our identity first and just laying some foundation stones First, I have a message back there that's called um, The Secret of John. It's one that I won't be sharing here because of time. It's another foundational message on the love of God, of what God actually thinks of us. How many of you know what the first commandment is? Right, but that's not actually for us. Because it was the Pharisees and Sadducees testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, we're not under law, we're under grace. My Bible tells me that, you sh- that um, he loves us because we first loved. Well, sorry, <laughs> I said that the wrong way around. <laughs> I, my brain was like one step ahead of my mouth. <laughs> my mouth was one step ahead of my brain. I mean, that the Bible says that, um, that we love because he first loved us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. See, I think we've got a little problem going on if we think that our number one command. If we, I think we have a little problem going on if we, if we, have to be commanded to love God. Loving God is the fruit of knowing how much He loves me. I can't help but love God back when I get a revelation of what He thinks about me, because it's like. I think it's kind of crazy. You should love the Lord your God. Or how then are we meant to win the lost? You should love the Lord your God. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? God? Who's that? Oh, you're going to hell. How can you love someone you don't know? Just a point. So that's called the secret of John. John had a secret that I believe none of the other disciples had. When all the disciples betrayed Jesus, there was only one left at the foot of the cross. And it was the one that Jesus inherited his mother to, entrusted his mother to, not inherited, entrusted his mother to, John. So what was it that John had that the other disciples didn't have? And it came out of the story of the Last Supper. When they're around the table and, and around the table and Peter turns to John and says, John, who is it that betrays Jesus? Why didn't Peter ask him? Why did he have to ask John to ask Jesus as opposed to Peter asking Jesus direct? Because he was the closest. And those that are closest to Jesus, he reveals the secrets of his heart to them. See, John's name means beloved. Peter's name means stone. If we break that down further, what we could say is that John's name means grace and Peter's name means law. So what we could say is that grace and law are represented at the table of the Lord that night and that's what's represented in the church, those that represent law and those that represent grace. But the ones that represent grace are there to serve Jesus at the time of need. Boom, that's there. 
the secret of John. Um, here's another one that will mess you up. The power of the Lord's table. How many of you like to take communion? How many of you heard the passage in 1 Corinthians 11.29, whoever drinks of this in an unworthy manner drinks judgment upon themselves? I think it's the greatest message of all time in the church that we curse the church every Sunday. If you've got sin in your life, you cannot partake until you've cleaned yourself up. My Bible says do this in remembrance of me. It doesn't say do this in remembrance of how bad you are. He's not talking... It's not in 1 Corinthians 11, 29, where it says, do this in, uh, sorry, do, whoever partakes of this in an unworthy manner drinks judgment upon themselves. He's not talking about sin. So what does it mean to partake in an unworthy manner? It's not to do with you. It's about failing to recognize the life that flows from Calvary. We've turned the greatest blessing of all into the greatest curse of all times, and we curse the church every Sunday, and we wonder why half the church is sick. All right, so there's a couple out there. My latest, my latest one just came out this week. It's called Living Victorious in the Fire. Anyone feel like they've ever been in the fire? <laughs> yeah, hello. Now tell the truth. Anyone feel like they've been in the fire? <laughs> I feel like I live in the fire sometimes. <laughs> like I've got fires raging all around me. And this message is how you can live victorious despite of your circumstances of, of what is raging around. Who's, who feels like they've got a big fire going on? Someone's just got like a fire that's raging. The man at the back of the hat. Here you go. I won't throw it because it won't fly. <laughs> <laughs> Living victorious in the fire. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, let's, uh, let's jump in. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Acts ten thirty eight, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and went about healing all. Somebody say all, all. that were oppressed by the enemy, for God was with him. I want to. I want to talk to you. This is another foundational message, and we're gonna tomorrow night or tonight. We're gonna break it down further. We're gonna break the doubts down that our theology is built around and just destroy our belief system, and we're going to rebuild it into putting Jesus back as the center. right? So we know that everybody that came to Jesus, without exception, was healed. Right? I didn't say Jesus healed everyone. I said everyone that came to him, without exception, was healed. Well, where is body? He's the head. Where is body? And everyone that comes to the body should be healed. Did I lose you guys there? I went silent. <laughs> We're going to talk more about the will of God in regards to healing uh, later on, maybe, maybe tomorrow or tonight or whenever. The reality is, is that the reality is, is that while it's the will of God to heal, and, and Jesus is our role model, and everyone that came to him was healed, that's not yet the reality I'm walking in. Now, a number of years ago, the reality between Christ and I were as far as apart as from the north to the south pole, or the east to the west. I was just not seen. My ministry looked nothing like Jesus. I was seen nobody healed. And if they weren't healed, I was pretty quick to tell them why they weren't healed, and I'd tell them what their problem was. You just need some faith. If you had had faith, you would have got healed, and that's not what I'm 
that's not what I'm teaching now because I, that's not what I believe. And we'll talk about that as well. And I'm so thankful that today is that if Jesus' ministry is here and mine was down here, at least I'm on a, on, I'm on a path of increase towards Jesus as our role model. See, Jesus, the ministry of Jesus must become our role model. How many of you want to know what the Father's like? This is not a trick question, right? <laughs> right, if you want to know what the Father's like, according to Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says that he is the exact representation of a father. So if you want to know what the father's like, you just need to look at Jesus, and he becomes our role model, not some story of the old covenant that you don't understand. Well, what about Job? Job didn't have an advocate. I do, his name's Jesus. I'm not a disciple of Job, I'm a disciple of Jesus. So I must align my ministry to the role model of Jesus Christ. And when I look at the person of Jesus Christ, I see in the person of Jesus Christ that he never, he never blessed a hurricane, he never welcomed an earthquake, he never put sickness upon somebody to develop character in their lives. In fact, when we look at the person of Jesus, what we see is that every, every, person, every storm he ever walked into, he calmed. Every sick person that ever came to him, he healed. And every funeral he ever went to, he messed it up, <laughs> including his own. See, that has to become my role model. That's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming at. That doesn't mean that I've arrived, but that's what, I'm, that's what I'm aiming for, and that's what I'm going for. And I refuse to create theologies to justify my powerlessness because what the church has done in creating theologies to justify the powerlessness, they've watered down the gospel, which has diluted the power, which is just a perpetual cycle of a downward spiral of powerlessness, and now we've got a powerlessness church that's created another theology. I can't say created another gospel because the gospel means good news, and if they're not getting healed, it's not good news. So I, that's... I'm almost starting to talk about what I was going to talk about tomorrow. I wanted to talk, and often if I'm doing a healing school, I wouldn't do this message until towards the end, but I really felt to do it at the start. So what do we do when people are not healed? Well, we don't adjust our theology to suit our experience. We make sure that we're always lifting our experience to the role model of Jesus Christ. See, I find so much of the body of Christ, and I'm thankful that it's changing, but there's so much of the body of Christ that's walking around with offense at God for the things that haven't happened. And we might say, well, I'm not offended with God. It's like, no, as you may not recognize it as the word offense. It might be disappointed, as that you're disappointed because you once believed God for something that never manifested or you never saw it. So you've created your theology around your experience as opposed to the word of God. When I was, um, I've been to a number of countries, that's 54 countries now, I think I've uh, ministered in hundreds and hundreds of cities. And I've, I've seen some cool miracles and I've been in some crazy cultures. I've been to India twice. 
And uh, any Indians here? I love, I do love India. It's like, man, I love the curries, and I love the colours, the colours of all the saris and stuff that the ladies wear. It's like, it's amazing. I was in India, and uh, I know I'm speaking at a conference. There's about uh, fifty thousand pastors there, and. The first night, these are very evangelical kind of, it's called a Pentecostal association, but there wasn't too much Pentecostal about them. And the first night came at the end of the meeting for the healing and they they literally ran out. And we were left out of 50,000 people with a team, a ministry team of 20 to pray for two people. So we pray for, I got one of them. And he's a little little deaf boy. And I pray for this little stone deaf. Pray for this little boy. Guess what? Nothing happens. Pray again and nothing happens. And Jesus prayed for a blind man twice. It really encourages me. So I'll go after it again. So I go after this little boy a couple of times. And I'm like, you know, I'm not seeing breakthrough. I said, how about you? Um, it was late at night. I said, how about you come tomorrow? And I said, I've got other ministry team members here that would love to, love to minister to you. What I was really saying is don't come to me. You know, go find somebody else. The following night comes and I'm kind of really hoping he doesn't come to me because I didn't really want to pray for him because I knew I'd failed to see the results the night before. I was hoping he'd go and find somebody else. And through the crowd, I see him charging to the front. And that night, about 200 people came for healing and they pretty much all got healed. And this little boy hunts me down and he stands in front of me with his dad and he goes, Dad says, we're here for his miracle. And I'm like, all right. So I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray and nothing happens. And I said, you come in tomorrow night? I said, why don't you come tomorrow night? And uh, one of my team members, like that man over there, seen a couple of hundred deaf ears open. He would love to pray for you. I mean, I was really trying to fob him off. I so didn't want him to come to me that it's really hot in India. It was in southern India. India it was super hot. So the next night I wore a jacket and a cap. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was hiding from this family. I just didn't want them to come to me. And the night goes through. We're ministering to the sick. And I'm like, yes, I got away from him. Like, he didn't find me. And next thing I felt a tap on my back. And I turn around and he's there. It's like, would you pray for my son? We're ready for our miracle. And I'm like, yeah. Pray for him, and I pray for him, and nothing happens, nothing happens. And I'm like, hey, why don't you just hang around? And, uh, you know, the other team members will love to pray for you. Just hang around. Just stay around the front here, and I'm just going to go and pray for some other people. And he goes, okay. They grabbed the back of my jacket, and they followed me around <laughs> till 1.30 in the morning. The very next girl I pray for is profound deaf. Boom, her ears open just like that. I turn back to the little boy, nothing. Pray for another deaf person, ears open. Turn back to him, nothing. Crippled man got out of a wheelchair. 90-year-old man from blind from birth starts to see. Turn back to the little boy, nothing happens. Goes like this until 1.30 in the morning, and in the end I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't get him here. I said, I'm going to take his photo and I'm going to put it on my computer and every day I see him, I'm going to pray for him. I don't advise that. We'll talk about that soon. 
I came back to the United States and I was speaking in Wisconsin and it was a Sunday morning service and two, two profound deaf, a deaf couple came up, husband and wife or girlfriend and boyfriend, I don't know, just man and woman, came up, both profoundly deaf from birth. I prayed for, him for, I prayed for her for 15 minutes and nothing happens, just nothing. So I said, just stay there, I'll pray for the guy. It's also a sign language. I said, I'll pray for the man and I'll come back to you. Pray for the man. Three second prayer, his ears open up. Boom, just like that. It was, it, was, it was stunning. He was shocked. He was so shocked he got scared. I mean, he was literally scared. He, he almost started crying because when you've never heard English, you don't know what English is. You just hear noise. And he's like going through the sign language lady like, I can hear noise, but I don't know what they're saying. And she's like, it's okay, it's okay. It's because you haven't learned that language. I mean, his language is the sign language. And yet, she doesn't get breakthrough. But yet, it's God's will for them both to be healed. So what do we do? How do we deal with disappointments? See, how we deal with disappointments will define what you walk into tomorrow. If you can't correctly deal with the disappointments of today, you won't. it will determine the fruitfulness of what you'll walk into tomorrow. Now, this is a big deal for me because... There's so much of the church, there's a chapter in the workbook on this. But there's so much of the church that is, has, has not dealt with intellectual offense. And they actually end up blaming God for the things that have nothing to do with God. The Bible says in John that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus Christ comes to give life and to give it abundantly. And if we're not feeding from the right source... You begin to blame God for the things that are not from God. You begin to blame God for the lack of fruit. You begin to blame God for the lack of breakthrough that you once believed God for, where you now given up hope, and now you don't even believe in the healing ministry because you've got an intellectual offense with God. You've changed your whole theology to justify powerlessness, and now you don't even believe in the healing ministry. In fact, there's many of them out there that come against me in the healing ministry they might write me letters and what have you. They write letters to, to come against me as a healing minister. But I can guarantee the root cause of them not believing in the healing ministry is because they once believed in God for something that didn't happen. And now they're blaming God for that very thing. Are you guys with me? See, there's a couple of people that I prayed for immense and immense times, like the little boy in India and uh, a lady in, a lady in uh, Reading that had multiple sclerosis. She's probably the second person that I prayed for the most where I, I um, got a team moving, what do you call it? You know, um, got a team organized to go of 100 people to minister to her day and night. Every day, we'd do Bible reading, we'd cut her grass, we'd do her dishes, we'd take the kids to the park, we'd you know, we'd pray over her, we'd worship in her room. It's just like an around-the-clock thing. Obviously, we let her sleep, and, and we're just in there, a hundred of us, in and out of that place all the time. And one night, I get, I'm, I'm in there late at night. I got a, several phone calls from the husband that she had, she was passing. And on one, on one occasion, she was, she was passing, she was bad. Her body temperature had dropped way down. She was chronic. She'd gone into hospital. 
husband phoned me and said, you know, the, the doctor says this is it. She'll be gone within half an hour. And I said, I'm on the way. My little, my daughter, who's, who's now 19, who's in college, incidentally, I don't take any profits from any product that, that is not mine. My kids have paid a huge sacrifice to be, for me to be a ministry. And the reward must, out, must be greater than the sacrifice. They take all my profit and some to get them through college. One, my daughter's school bill is $37,000 a year. And it all goes to her, and I've got a second one going to college in just a few months. So I just I wanted to make that clear. If you think I'm getting rich off products, I'm not. I've got other ways that I'll make my money, money, but it's not from ministry. So I go. So my young daughter, who's 19 now, and she's a lot younger at the time. This is probably eight years ago. She said, "Dad, can I come to see Martha?" And I said, it's a tough decision when you know that you're facing death and do you want to expose your 10-year-old daughter to that? But yet what happens if she's the one that actually has the key? And I said, I'll take you in on one condition. I said, you're to pray. I said, if you're going to like, because I have to be there for this family. I said, I can't have you back out and say, oh, I just want to go to the car. Like, you need to pray. And she goes, I'll pray, Dad. I said, all right. So we walk in and here's Martha, very serious state, like 10 minutes probably off death. Um, she had chain breathing, you know, she'd take a breath and then breathe again in 30 seconds, you know. She was on the way out. And my daughter stops and she looks at me and she goes, hey, Dad. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, there's two angels at the end of the bed. And I'm like, there is? I, I mean, I just see paint when I look around, you know. And she goes, there's two angels at the end of the bed. And I said, ask them what they're there for. And she goes, okay. She goes, Dad, they said they're healing angels and they're here to heal. And I said, I'll tell them to get on off their job. <laughs> and she goes, okay. I told them to get on with their job. And then she goes, hey, Dad, can I prophesy over the husband? Now, my daughter hasn't been trained in prophecy. I'm like, oh, like this could go bad. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a risk taker. I said, okay. And she said, Mr. Mr. Willie, his name is Willie, Mr. Willie. She said, I saw Martha parachuting. And I saw that she forgot a parachute. And she's about to hit the ground and die. And I'm like, oh, this is going really well. <laughs> and she said, and right before the parachute wouldn't open, she said, and right before the parachute hit the ground, the, she hit the ground, the parachute opened and she had a safe landing. And the Lord says to you, Mr. Willie, that Martha will live, she will not die. Like this. And I'm like, I taught her everything about the prophetic. <laughs> she will live, she will land safely. This is not her time to die. She will live, she will be discharged from this hospital. She will be going home. And I'm like... Come on, girl, you preach it. <laughs> well, she did go home. 
She pulled out of it and she survived and she goes home. And she lives for about another four months. And I'm at her house one night. Again, we're in the same, same place, real bad. And I had my secretary with me. And I said, my secretary agreed with me that she'd pray all night with her. And I, I was tired. I'd been up all day. It was 11 at night. And I said, I'll go home. I said, I'll be back at 6 in the morning. I left home. I left to go to home. And I was, I was about 10 minutes drive from her house, just pulling into my driveway. And, and my secretary calls me sobbing. And she's like, Chris, Martha's gone. And I'm like, no, no, I'll be there in a minute. I called up every healing revivalist I know, and I said, meet me at Martha's, 10 minutes. And we prayed through the night for resurrection because not everybody dies in God's timing. Young mum, three-year-old, three-year-old girl and a five-year-old son. And Martha's gone. We prayed all night. We prayed until the coroner came and took the body away. And at the heartbreaking job of having to bury her a couple of days later. We stood around that body and we decided as a team that our circumstances don't determine the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. That our circumstances don't determine the nature of God. He is still a healing God, regardless of what we see. We're on a journey which we haven't yet arrived. See, there's another, another person that I prayed for just as much as Martha, um, well, certainly more than Martha. And this, little, this little girl, when she was born, she was born with, do, you, do the ladies know what an APGAR is? I don't even know if you use an APGAR in America. Right, so the ladies that know what an APGAR is, if you're born with an APGAR of two, you're in a serious state. Right, Most babies who might be born with an APGAR of six, they slap their bottom and whatever and they cry and boom, they're, you know, a couple of minutes later they're an APGAR of nine or ten and it's a healthy baby. Well, this baby was born with an APGAR of two, which means that if you don't have immediate medical intervention, you will die. This little child was suffering pretty bad and had medical intervention and that night, the child was transported across town into a special care baby unit. And later that night, the baby had a massive grand mal seizure. And the doctors took the parents of the baby into the hospital room and said that, medically speaking, there's no hope for the daughter, for this girl. There is no hope. They didn't say she's going to die, but they said that the brain is so severely damaged that she'll never walk. She'll never talk. She'll never be able to do anything by herself. And the only hope that the parents can ever give this child would be for them to take her home and to love them, love this child to the best that they could possibly love her because that's the only hope. And the parents took the child, the child home and they just began to love her the best that they possibly, possibly could. In 2008, so she was, this little girl was raised and raising and she goes into a wheelchair and she has seizures and all the rest of it. And in 2008, she has such a, such a severe scoliosis in her spine that it twisted to 104 degrees. Now, if you're a mathematician, that's 90. The doctors have said without immediate urgent surgery, it's already crushing one lung. It'll keep on coming down. It'll crush the lung, crush the heart and... Death will be the imminent outcome of non-medical intervention. 
the parents of this child really believe God for a breakthrough. The girl goes into surgery in 2008 and she underwent a nine-hour surgery for a spinal fusion from the top of, a tail, top of her neck to the bottom of her tailbone. And for the bulk of nine hours, the girl was hung upside down in the surgery and they put twin titanium rods down her spine and fused her with the fuse of cadabra. During the operation, the little girl bled out all of her blood five times over. Now, if you're a doctor, twice is pretty serious. She loses all of her blood five times over. That when she came out of the anesthesia, um, um, she was so swollen. They actually kept her in a kept her in a, 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 a medical induced coma. She was so swollen that her head was almost twice the normal size. Her head was black and blue, and her eyes were swollen shut for two weeks. She couldn't open them for two weeks. She was that swollen from being hung upside down. The father of that child, she was in intensive care, non-insured, in intensive care in California. It's $1,000 an hour just for the bed. That's without doctors or anything you use that's just for the bed, let alone the operation, $250,000. The father of the child walks into the room one day in intensive care and shuts the, the glass door and shuts the curtain. And he pulls out a blank chair and he sits the blank chair at the end of the bed. And he says, devil, take a seat. You're going to sit there and you're going to open your eyes and you're going to watch what this father's going to do. And you are going to watch. You are not going to shut your eyes. You're going to watch. And the father put some music on And he began to worship God that day in that room. And he began to pour his heart out to God in that room. And this is his prayer. This is his discussion with God. He said, God, I don't know what's happening. And I don't know whether she's going to make it through the day. But regardless of what happens, your goodness is despite of my circumstances. And that you're a good God whose heart is to always heal. And the father said this, that as long as he lives for the rest of his life, he'll never justify powerlessness and he'll never pull the gospel down to his level of experience. But he will lift his experience to the word of God of what the word of God says, that everyone that came to Jesus was healed. And the Lord spoke to that father in that medical, in that ER, in the uh, intensive care unit, and the closest that he gets to an audible voice. And the Lord spoke so profoundly to this father's heart and said, said this, that if you would declare of my goodness wherever you go, my goodness will always back you up wherever you go. See, the father in that room was completely broken. He was absolutely broken before the Lord because this is his first daughter. As my daughter, I'm the father. 
And my circumstances do not dictate the goodness of God. I refuse. I absolutely refuse to pull this down to my experience. I've given my life to God. I said, God, I will always lift my experience to your word because you are my role model. My experience is not my role model. My daughter's just turned 21. She's still in a wheelchair. She still has massive seizures. She's had a massive one on Sunday morning. Have all the complications that go with she's cerebral palsy. She has all the complications with disabilities and all that kind of stuff, everything that goes on with it. But I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm only moved by what one thing is what this says. It's Jesus is my role model. That he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free. He didn't come to kill, steal, and destroy. He came to give life and to give it abundantly. That's why I have such a passion to see special needs kids healed. And you can tell when you've got an intellectual offense with God, when you need a miracle that the other person needs. And you can't celebrate when they get the breakthrough and you didn't. And I tell you, I'm going to jump higher. I'm going to twist louder. I'm going to scream with happiness louder than anybody here when a disabled child or an autistic child gets healed. Because I cannot allow offense to creep into my heart to begin to blame God for something. Because if I look at that person and go, why did they get it and why not me? It's the start of an intellectual offense that I have towards God. And I don't want to be offended at God because I don't want to shut down any of the fruitfulness of what I could see tomorrow. And so much of the church is offended at God for the things that we haven't have that haven't happened. And I can guarantee that every single one of us in here have believed in God for something that didn't happen. Right? And if you haven't, you're not believing big enough. We've all got mysteries and we've all got we've all had unexplained loss in our life but the question is is how you deal with that loss is what determines the fruitfulness of the future i i left that two weeks after she came out of hospital we, we just went through hell backwards it was an awful time we didn't realize that she was allergic to morphine and we were giving her morphine, and the more we gave her, the worse she got. So we just thought we needed more. You know, we knew, knew the levels were allowed to go to, so we were within the levels. But And then one night, she put her into bed at 6 p.m., and she screamed from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m., screamed in pain. And I had to come to church to operate our speak at our very first healing school at Reading the next morning, and I'm the first speaker on at 9 a.m., been up all night. There's a message out there. It's called Grace That Empowers. And that was the actual message that I preached in 2008 when I'd been up all night. And I just, I absolutely lost in front of the people, just broken before the people. But I stood there and I said that my circumstances don't determine the nature of God. 
he's a good father whose heart is to always heal. And I, I feel like that in the body that so many of us need to deal with the intellectual offense. We need to deal with the disappointments because Jesus also had disappointments. We read in Matthew 14, it says that Jesus was received the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. You can't tell me that Jesus wasn't disappointed when he heard the news that John had lost his head. And it says there that John, uh, not John, I'm sorry, that Jesus went alone up the mountain to be with the Father. But if you read the whole story in its entirety, it says that he never got there because the crowds pushed in and the crowds wanted healing. See, he heals the sick. And then he does some other cool miracles. He walks on water and stuff. And then it says that he got to be, then he he went to a deserted place by himself to talk with the Father. Now, I know that this is reading between the lines a little bit, but this is how I think. What was he talking to the Father about? And if it's what I talk to the Father about, then I'm pretty sure I knew what Jesus talked to the Father about because I have to spend time with my Father continuously feasting on how good my Father is and reminding myself of the nature and the heart of the Father towards his people and towards humanity. He actually loves the world. And I believe that Jesus was alone with the Father, reminding himself of the nature of the Father, of filling himself up in that place of the nature of God. And he dealt with that disappointment in the, in the private place with God. And then it says that he came down from the mountain, and this is how the chapter finishes, all that touched the hem of his garment were healed. See, I, I really believe that the church is the church needs to I think it's one of the greatest things in the church that we need to deal with is disappointments. Because we have defined the nature of God by our circumstances and now we sing about it. You give and take away, but blessed be your name. Well that's out of Job. I'm not a disciple of Job. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Job's not my role model. Jesus is. Job's not a story of suffering. Job's a story of perseverance and faith. Even when his wife said, curse God and die, he still wouldn't. He just stuck and just held on. See, I long to see a body of believers that would actually get a bit of a backbone in them and they wouldn't be such quitters that they would base their theology on the person of Jesus not their experience that when they get knocked down they get up again and they just won't quit now I don't know how many of you have come for healing versus those that want to operate in healing and I really hope that as every one of you want to operate in healing as well as be healed because that's my heart but we're never going to make it in the healing ministry if we don't know how to deal with disappointments because the first disappointment that you get knocked down and you can't get up again, I guess your healing ministry's over. See, I, go, I get knocked down multiple times a day. Just lost a newborn baby yesterday. Working with a friend in Canada. 
brand new, just a few hours old. Died. Got knocked off my horse, but I'll tell you why. Just get up again. I was flying to um, do a conference in, in Honolulu a few years ago. It was a bit of a funny story of how I got on a flight. It's for another day, I think it's in my book. I was meant to be flying LA to Honolulu, and I was going to see a man over there that has seen a lot of breakthrough and special needs kids. That's why I wanted to go to the conference. And I had a student team with me. And the flight to San Francisco to LA was delayed, which meant I missed my flight to Honolulu, which means I wasn't going to, I was going to miss the man. And I just wanted to see the man. I wanted to see this man. I wanted him to have lunch with him. I wanted to meet him. I, you know. And I phoned someone. I had no status with the airline at that point. I phoned someone in the know, and I'm like, I'm in trouble. You've got to get me in Honolulu. Is there any strings you can pull? She said, I'll call you back in two minutes. She calls me back, and she goes, run to gate 70-something or other right now. Get there as fast as you can. There's a direct flight waiting to take you. And she said, what? I said, what about my team? She goes, don't worry about the team. You just get there. And I went to the team, and I'm like, guys, you're on your own. I'm out of here. Great leader, right? <laughs> I got to the check-in, and the lady goes, are you Mr. Gore? And I'm like, yes. And she goes, on you get. She goes, oh, I'm sorry, we've got a problem. What about your bags? And I'm like, I don't have any. This is all I have. And she said, on you get. Jumped on the plane, they shut the door, and we took off immediately, and I left my team behind to see that man. But on the flight, I didn't realize that I'd been upgraded to Economy Plus because it was just such a whirlwind and I didn't realize for about 30 minutes into the flight that I'd been upgraded. I mean, after all, you get, you know, that much extra leg room, right? And I'm sitting next to a man and the man, 30 minutes into the flight, he goes, do you normally fly Economy Plus? And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was. And he goes, yes, you are. That's what the green sticker means on the back of the seat. And I'm like, oh, must have got upgraded. And I said, do you normally fly Economy Plus? And he goes, oh, no. He says, I always fly first class. Always. He said, but I find that people in first class are too snobby to talk to. (laughs) He says, so I purposefully downgraded myself to sit in Economy Plus to see if I'd be put next to anybody more interesting to talk to than that in first class. And he goes, so I actually want to have a debate with you. And I'm like, you do? What do you want to debate about? And he goes, I want to debate about American politics. And I'm like, you kind of missed it, didn't you? And he goes, miss what? Can't you hear from my accent? I'm not from America. I said, I don't even know what the Senate is, let alone how to spell it. And he goes... Well, you're not much fun, are you? And I'm like, maybe so. He goes, all right, let's debate religion. And I'm like, I don't want to debate religion either. I said, because I hate religion. I said, I couldn't think anything more worse to do on a Sunday morning than to go to a dead church. Come on. I said, I'd much rather go and play golf or go fishing. And he goes, yeah, I'm with you. And I'm like, yeah. I just had him on my line. I just... 
He had him eating out of my pocket and he didn't know it. So what do you do? I love, it's a question I love to ask because then it's only polite that they ask me what I do. What do you do for a job? And he goes, I'm a multi, multi-millionaire businessman. I own a high-rise hotel on Waikiki Beach right on the water. I'm like, oh, very nice. He says, what do you do? I never tell anybody what I do. I create titles. <laughs> I'm an author. I'm a teacher. I'm a physician's assistant. <laughs> you tell them you're a pastor. They don't want to talk anymore because they think you're going to give them the heaven and hell message. So I'm a teacher. He goes, What do you teach? And I'm like, I teach on the paranormal. And he's really. I'm like, yeah. I said, I just love to see people healed. Cancers fall off people, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. Just love to see people healed. He's like, wow. And then I I just tune out from him and I turn on TV and I watch a movie. And it's a movie called, and I'm going to say it wrong, it's Mr. Agorium's Wonder Aporium. It's about a toy story that comes, a, a toy store at nighttime, the toys come alive. And they run around the shop and they all play. And it's like a magical kind of a Disney movie, you know. It's pretty cool. pretty cool. And I finished the movie and then I fell asleep. And I woke up and he's looking at me. <laughs> he goes, I know why you like that movie. And I'm like, you do? And he goes, yep. I said, why do I like that movie? He goes, because you believe in the supernatural. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and he said, I got a question for you. He said, let's get some discussion going here. I got a question for you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I thought you might. And he goes, for someone that believes in the supernatural, I want to know what you do when they die. And I'm like, do you want the short answer or the long answer? And he goes, I want the honest, short answer. He says, don't you lie to me, son. I'm like, right, I'll give you the short answer. And he goes, what is it? I said, well, it's a short answer, but there's five things that I do. And he goes, five, what are they? And inside I'm like, why did I say five? I don't even know what one of them is. <laughs> I'm like, God, you better speak fast because I don't know what they are. And he goes, tell me, what is number one? And I said, all right, number one is with the permission of the family, I'm going to try and raise them from the dead because not everybody dies in God's timing. And he goes, oh, you really do believe in this stuff, don't you? And I'm like, uh-huh. He goes, all right, so say that they don't come back. What are you going to do then? I said, oh, that's easy. I bury them. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I guess that makes sense, yeah. And he, and he goes, so what's number three? And I said, I'm going to mourn with those that mourn. And it's number three, and I'm going to grieve with those that grieve. But I'm just, I didn't tell him this, I'll tell you this. It's okay to mourn, but we can't let our mourning lead us to unbelief. So I'm going to mourn with those that mourn. And he goes, all right. He says, so what's number four? And I said, I'm going to make sure that I take my disappointments to the cross of Jesus. And I'm going to leave my disappointments 
at the cross and make sure that I'm not offended with God. And that might mean that I'm on my face before him. Do I know that it is dealt with in my heart, that all is well with my heart? He goes, wow. He goes, and what's number five? I said, oh, the number five is easy. I said, I get back up off the floor and I position myself on the front line and I go for the next one. And he goes, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard. I said, I've never heard anything like that. He said, I'm, I think he was 55 at the time. He goes, when I was a child, oh, no, I'm sorry. He said, I'm 55. I haven't been to Sunday school since I was like three. I better go home and find my Bible and blow the dust off it because that's not the way I remember reading it. And I'm like, you're right. I said, there's something wrong with your foot, isn't there? He goes, how do you know that? And I said, it's the right one, isn't it? And he goes, no, it's the left. I'm like, close enough. (laughs) I got the foot anyway. It's about taking risks. I said, what's wrong with it? And he goes, I got 47 years of pain in that foot. I got 16 pins that hold it together, and I have never experienced one minute of one second in 47 years of painlessness. Do you think you can do your thing on that? I'm like, I know I can do my thing on that. (laughs) He goes, we'll do it. And I'm like, soon. I just want to keep him on my line. Soon. And he goes, all right. So the plane comes into land, and he goes, now? And I'm like, soon. We get off the plane, and he goes, now? And I'm like, oh, I left my camera on board. And I went back, I went back on, you're not allowed back on the plane now, but I, then I was allowed to, and I just, I'd only just stepped out of the door, so I ran back and I grabbed it out of the thing, and I was kind of hoping he was just going to take off. And he didn't. He's waiting for me. He goes, now? And I'm like, let's go down to baggage claim. He goes, okay. Getting under baggage claim, and our bags come, and he goes, now? And I'm like, now let's go onto the pavement. Let's walk outside into the fresh air. And he goes, okay. If you've ever been to Honolulu Airport, it's kind of open. It's like an open face. And there's this concrete seat at the front of Honolulu Airport, right by baggage claim. And he goes, now? And I'm like, yeah, let's just sit there. I'm like, we'll do it. And he goes, okay. He goes, how do you want me? Sitting down, standing up. I'm like, stand on your head if you want. I mean, he's, you know, we're like, we, we assume the position. <laughs> he's not churched. He doesn't know what to do. I'm like, just sit down. And he goes, is this going to take long? I said, not about a second. He goes, really? I'm like, huh? I said, are you ready? And he goes, yeah, I guess so. And we're both sitting on the park bench in Honolulu Airport, that concrete bench right at the front. He's on my left. And I sit next to him and I'm like, I was scared. <laughs> I touch his foot and I'm like, Jesus, get him. <laughs> I said, now test that out. And he stands up and he goes, he gingerly moves it and he goes, never pray with your eyes shut. The reason for that is you'll see the miracle before they tell you. And his eyes are like, and he starts wriggling around, and like a five-year-old boy, he starts running in circles in front of Honolulu Airport, screaming his mouth off, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. This is the first time I've been pain-free in 47 years, running around in circles. 
And he comes back to him and he goes, I don't think you know who I am. I am a multi-millionaire. And he said, your hotel is my hotel. And he pulls his business card out and he says, whenever your family's in Honolulu, it's yours for free. And I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> Except I lost his business card the next day. In Acts chapter 3, it's one of my favorite miracles of the entire Bible. It's the only chapter that takes two chapters to describe what happened. And it's the healing of the miracle at Gate Beautiful. And it says this, it says that, that Peter and John are walking by. And they see the man at Gate Beautiful. And they walk up to the man at Gate Beautiful, and what's the first thing that they say? No. Look at us. Look at us. They didn't say Saul and Gold first. They said, look at us. See, that's our identity. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Look at us. And fixing their eyes upon them, Peter and John, They say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And boom, the man goes walking, leaping and praising God. Well, it's interesting that in chapter 4, verse 14, I think it is, Peter and John get into trouble for healing the man with the religious people of the day, like we still get in trouble with the religious people of the day. The Pharisees and Sadducees come to them, ready to stone them, angry. And Peter and John says this, why do you look at us? If it was by our power and our godliness that made this man walk, it was him, referring to Jesus. See, there's a valuable lesson in the story, and the story is this, is that when the miracle doesn't happen, it's not your burden. And when the miracle does happen, it's not your glory. Because if you're going to take the glory for the miracle happening, you're going to take the burden for it not happening. And if you're going to take the burden for it not happening, you're going to take the glory when it does happen. See, it's not my burden when somebody doesn't get healed and it's not my glory when somebody does get healed my responsibility is to love my responsibility is to release the kingdom see success to me is not determined by the outcome it's not successful whether I get the person healed or not success to me is did I do something with what God gave me and he gave me the kingdom it's not about the result it's a bit to me success. I'm successful if I if I did something with what gave with with what God gave me. Did I release the kingdom? Did I love the person in front of me? See, it's really all about love. See, if you're if you're wanting to heal people because you want a notch on your belt to say that you opened up another blind eye, that's just repulsive. I don't want to heal people because I want another testimony 
I want to heal people because that's the love of the Father and that's the way that the Father sees them. See, it's actually about love. And if you can operate in love, regardless of what the outcome is, I personally believe that it's impossible to pray and nothing happen. I was sharing with the team yesterday. I was in England in October last year. I'm sorry, the year before. We just clicked over to a new one. So October 2015. And I was meeting with a politician. I had to wear a suit and tie. It was the first time for years. I looked quite spiffy. And I'm meeting with this politician. It was a very short meeting. It was probably five or ten minutes at the most. And I, and I leave. And he says, I'm sorry, I have to cut the meeting short. And I'm thinking, what a waste of a meeting. But God had told me I was on an assignment of love. I just didn't know who it was for. And he said, Mr. Gore, he said, would you like to see a debate? There's a debate in the chamber happening right now. It's a very heated debate. I forgot the name of it. So it's such a heated debate that they call, they ring a bell. And when they ring the bell, every politician, no matter where they are in the building, has got 13 minutes to be in the chamber. They have to cancel all meetings and go straight to the chamber to debate. And the bell had just gone. So the places, people are moving from everywhere. Meetings cancel just all over the place, and they have to go down. It's like a hung parliament, and they have to go down. And, you know, so they've got more of a body to vote, you know. And so he calls his secretary in, and he goes, would you take Mr. Gore to the chamber? to watch a debate and I'm thinking I've got nothing better to do this appointment was a waste so I'm walking down to the debating chamber and his secretary says to me could you uh, answer me a question why were you seeing the politician the member of parliament today and I said well because he's on an autism awareness group and I'm in a group that loves to see it healed and she goes what you see it healed and I'm like yes do you want to hear some stories? And I started telling her some stories. And she said, wow. I said, do you want to hear some cancer stories? And she said, yes. I started telling her some cancer stories. And she goes, are you a Christian? And I said, I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I said, is there anything I can pray for you for? She goes, well, there is. I said, what would that be? We can pray. My friend and I will pray for you right now. And she said, well, this is a big thing for a lady to ask a man this, right? She goes, I'm extremely overweight, as you can see. Do you think your God can shrink, take fat off me supernaturally? I'm like, of course he can. I said, let's pray. So we pray for her fat to dissolve and her metabolism to come into order and to, you know, to operate as her body's meant to operate and all that kind of stuff. Is there anything else? And she goes, yes. She said, I got a messed up shoulder. She says, no, back, I'm sorry, I messed up back. Can you pray for my back? I'm sure, can I put my hand on your back? Sure, so I put my hand on her back and I thank you for your love for this lady and just release the kingdom on her. I said, test that out. She goes, no difference. I'm like, we'll pray again. We pray again. I said, how's that? She goes, no difference. She stops and she looks at me and I said, can I just say something to you? I said, can I just tell you what the father thinks of you? And she goes, oh, okay. And my friend and I began to prophesy over her of what the father, how the father saw her. And she begins to weep and she looks at me and she goes, who are you? I want to know who you really are. And I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. My name is Chris Gore. She goes, Mr. Gore. 
She said, I have never met anybody in my life that walks in so much compassion and so much love. She said, I can literally feel love and compassion just pulsating out of you. And I said, that's just my father leaking out of me. Because that's what he thinks about you. I said, do you know him? And she goes, kind of. I said, well, do you know him or do you know about him? I'm not an evangelist, right? So this is a big risk for me. I said, do you know him or do you know about him? And she goes, no, I know about him. She said, I was raised as a Greek Orthodox. I haven't been to church, Greek Orthodox church, whatever they call it, chapel or whatever. I haven't been there for 35 years. I said, because he doesn't want to just know about you. He wants you to know him and he wants to know you. I said, would there be any reason why you wouldn't give your life to Jesus right now? And she goes, there's no reason whatsoever. I want to do it right now. Did she get healed? No. But because I was operating in love, which is what it's all about, she got the greatest healing of all, salvation. She jumped into my boat. I mean, I wasn't out fishing. I was just being myself. And she jumped into my boat. I didn't know what to do with the fish. I'm like, got to do something with this fish, you know. Led the fish to Jesus. See, are we operating in love? Or are we operating because we see people as a project? The person that's standing in front of us is not a project for you to get healed. They are a person that God so dearly loves that he actually wants them healed because his heart for that person to see them healed is actually greater than your heart to see them healed. And I tell you, God is looking for, he's looking for healers. Some of you find that offensive to say that we're a healer. Yeah, we are because he lives in us and we're one with Christ. The Bible doesn't say pray for the sick. In Matthew 10, it says heal the sick. I'm just saying. He's looking for people that know who they are. And he's looking for people that will know how to love. And they'll know how to release the kingdom and give the kingdom away. Because I am convinced that Jesus didn't go through all he went through so we can just do church. I can't think of anything more religious and boring to do than just do church. He didn't suffer for what he went through so we can just come to church, sit our bottom on a chair for two hours, sing a couple of songs, shake a couple of hands and go home to our chicken that's cooking and we want to get out as fast as we can before it burns. I want to see Jesus receive the full reward of his suffering. And I tell you is that Jesus never promised us a bed of roses. I am in the fire. You've got no idea how much I'm in the fire. This is not to make you feel bad about me. I've gone through three nights in the last six weeks where I've, in the last six weeks where I've been up for 48 hours straight without sleeping because of my daughter. Some night she just decides not to sleep. Well, let's guess what? I'm up for that. My wife's up for that. 
But God's looking for someone that's not going to change his nature based on his circumstances. He's looking for someone that's going to stand on his word and just believe that he is actually who he says he is. He's actually looking for someone that's not going to be a quitter, that's going to walk out of this place and say, well, I prayed for three people and it didn't work. I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, guess what? If you pray for three people and they don't get healed and you don't do it anymore, guess how many people are going to get healed? Zero. I, I can assure you that if you put all the people that you're praying for that don't get healed together, I've probably seen that not healed every day myself. But yet I got the joy of seeing thousands healed every year now. I was just in one meeting and one minute we saw a hundred deaf ears open at once like that. It was in France over the summer. Just in the last four, six months, probably since that meeting, I've probably seen 500 deaf ears open between summer and now. He's looking for someone that won't quit. If you're going to quit, guess what? Nothing's going to happen. But if you're going to keep going, I'm not talking about trying hard. Like I spoke about in the first session, I'm talking about learning our identity and learning to abide because an apple tree doesn't try to produce fruit. It just produces fruit. I've never seen an apple tree in the garden like... It's like, oh, so hard to bear fruit. It just puts itself in the dirt and it soaks itself in the sun. S-O-N. And the branches just grow. Next thing, bloop, 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 bloop. Blossoms come out. I am the vine. You are the branches. He's looking for a group of believers that arise up to begin to actually believe that they are who he says you are and that he is who he says he is. We're going to close, and this is how I want to close. I know this feels like a shortcut to the healing ministry. Like this, this is not a message that I normally give to, like the end of a five-day school. And I, and I don't, I don't know about everybody here, and what you know, we, whether you're here as a consumer to receive healing or to be equipped to do healing, but I'm after you both. If you're here and you say, I want that compassion, you may say, well, I don't feel like I've got it now, but I want that compassion of the heart of Jesus to begin to minister to people and I won't quit. I want you to stand and we're going to pray. You just put your hand on someone next to you. I'm going to ask my team. I've got a team from, I've got an international team here. They're from Germany, Switzerland, Australia, America, Reading, New Zealand, South Africa. We've got a full international team here. We've got one Ameri- two Americans on the team. The rest of us are international. 
I'm going to ask the team just to begin to circulate around the people and just begin to lay hands on people. But this is, this is my prayer and this is my cry. Is that you would be filled with the compassion of Jesus. We're gonna, tonight I'm going to talk about learning to see things the way that God sees things, not the way you see things. When you see the way that God sees, you're filled with compassion. I want you to begin to pray for each other that they would be so filled with the compassion of God that today will be a new day, that there's going to be a turnaround, that they're going to begin to see people as God sees them and they're going to begin to see fruit. I tell you, we have to redefine success. Success is not whether the person got healed or not. Success is, did you love? Did you love? Did you give away what he gave you and he gave you the kingdom? And you'll start seeing fruit. Start praying. You just put some music on and pray for them like you mean it. Pray for them like you'd want them to pray for you. Father, you come in power. Father, that you'd fill us with the compassion of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I got a heart for your city. I want to see Oklahoma one. I'm not even from here. We need, we need revivalists. We need healers that are going to go out of this door and begin to love on people and are going to begin to heal people. It's the goodness of God that brings them to repentance. Pray for an increase of compassion. that just be filled with the compassion of God. Just pray that they'll be stirred up. Man, I just want to see believers stirred up. I, tell you, I hate religion. I got zero time for religion. But I've got my life to give to Jesus. Pray, Jesus, get them. Fill them with the compassion of heaven. more God Father pour out your spirit Father we begin to see things different God
Father, we begin to see things from the way you see them. Father, we will be filled with love. Father, we'll be known as lovers. Thanks, God. Now I want you to look at your hands. Put your hands in front of you. I'm going to pray for you. Put your hands in front of you. Okay, just turn that down a little touch. I want you to look at your hands. Luke 17, 21 says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Habakkuk 3 says that the lightnings of God were concealed in the Hands. I I really believe that the believers have loaded hands. I do. It's the core conviction I live with is we actually have loaded hands. The kingdom of God is within. Because we're at one with Christ. He's actually within us. So we're, we are his hands and his feet. I want you to look at your hands and we're going to make a couple of declarations and we'll close that. So out loud with me. These hands are loaded. These hands were designed to destroy the works of the enemy. These hands are made for hands of love. These hands will see deaf ears open. These hands will see blind eyes open. These hands will see cancer dissolve. Now look at them. Don't shut your eyes. Look at them. Say hands. Yes. You're loaded. You're loaded. Now put that loaded hand on someone next to you. And pull the trigger. Thank you, Jesus. More, more, more. Father, fill us with more. Father, we need more of you. We need a greater revelation of who we are in you and who you are in us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. All right. We we are we are going to break, and uh, we're back to, we're back tonight. Tonight we will we will be going after corporate miracles. I, please come. In the last in the last couple of years, it's not been uncommon now that I'm seeing anywhere between seventy and two hundred percent of the congregation healed. <laughs> Poland, eight hundred Catholics in the room, two thousand miracles. It's in the Catholic creed. Any Catholics here? It's in the Catholic creed to believe in miracles. You don't have to convince a Catholic that miracles happen. You have to convince a Pentecostal that Jesus is alive. <laughs> France. 2,000 people in the room. We saw 100 deaf ears open. That was the first miracle. Right, Mary? That was the first one we went for, wasn't it? I think it was deaf ears. Through it. Nine or ten year old girl got her up, and I'm like, You heal them. She'd only been saved two hours because I led her to the Lord two hours earlier because I wasn't allowed in the Catholic Mass. 
So they put me in the side room because I'm not allowed to take mass with the Catholics. So I just took communion by myself. And they put me in the side room with these kids and I just led them all to the Lord. And I'm like, all right, tonight you're doing it. That's what happens when the Catholics lock me up. I just get them saved. We saw over 2,000 miracles that night. We saw 1,100 of them give their lives to the Lord. And the first, that was the first night. 1,100 Catholics give their lives to the Lord. There's uh, um, Japan, 300 people in the room, 328 miracles in one session. Uh, we, we will see the kingdom come tonight. I want you to come tonight with, I want this conviction burning in your heart. This conviction I live with. I must live with the conviction that nothing is impossible. Okay, and I'll, I'll teach into it tonight. I'll teach into, I'm going to teach on like, about putting the simplicity or childlikeness back in the kingdom. And then we'll pray people, you'll we'll be praying for people and we will see breakthrough. How many in Oklahoma the other night? 300 people there, about, in Oklahoma City. How many miracles we see? A couple of hundred? Yeah, a man came up, he had neuropathy in his hands, right? He hadn't felt his hands for years. I forgot how long it was. Years he hadn't felt his hands. His fingers just all lit up and got everything back. We will see the kingdom come tonight. Amen? If you're, um, please, the book prices will be different tonight. All right, I got to make some money for my girl. <laughs> um, I tell people that all the money goes to hungry kids. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> so the prices will be different. The prices will be different tonight. They're not going to be vastly different, but they they will be up tonight. So if you want to get those that deal of what I offered, you can still get that. See the people. Um, see my team out there, and they'll help you with that. Bless you guys. See you tonight. One thing before, before you guys leave, just real quick, because I just want to encourage you strongly with this. Now, we're going to see the kingdom manifest powerfully tonight, right? Especially in healing and miracles, right? Is that just for us here? I mean, think about that. Pastors, if you're here and you know people in your church, people, if you know people who need healing, get them here tonight. As you guys go out and eat dinner out in the community and you come across people who are sick, invite them here tonight. This don't let this be just about us, but people out there who need the kingdom, let's get them here tonight. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a good break and we'll see you at seven.